Hello and welcome to the VOE podcast. An extension of Voices of Experience. The signature speaker series at the University of Denver's Daniels College of Business. We're your hosts, Crystal Griffith. Nick Greenhouse. And I'm Lauren Fultzenberg from the Daniels Office of Communications and Marketing. We'll be unpacking topics at the intersection of business and the public good with CEOs and other business leaders from the Daniels community. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Steve Lucas, CEO of ISOMS. Steve has extensive leadership experience in companies like Adobe, SAP, and Salesforce. Before ISOMS, he was the CEO of Marketo. In his many leadership roles, he's been a great partner to the Daniels College of Business, consistently recruiting our students, providing feedback on curriculum, and sponsoring student projects. If you're not familiar with ISIMS, it's a recruiting software, so we look forward to visiting with Steve about his perspectives on the labor crisis. Steve, welcome to the VOE podcast. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start with your background. You have more than 25 years of leadership experience with cutting edge software companies. Tell us about your journey to become the CEO of ISOMS. Yeah, every time I hear I've got more than 25 years of experience, I'm genuinely terrified. (laughs) Um, uh, I don't recognize myself anymore. But um, yes, it's been fantastic uh, journey wise. I started my career Um, working for Microsoft. And my title, which was a big deal, was demo rep. (laughs) Love it. So it was kind of the, let's name the job exactly what it is, demo rep. And I demoed the heck out of software. But actually, I I demonstrated compelling uh, Microsoft titles like Microsoft Dogs and Encarta, which was a CD-based encyclopedia wow. before the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all these years later, now you're probably thinking, how is this guy a CEO? <laughs> but I've always wanted to be a CEO, um, and I love software. I feel like I get paid to play baseball. It, mm. It's just so fun. Mm. Um, and for me, I'm a naturally curious per- person. And anytime I've been thrown into a situation... I've always wanted wanted to understand more than just like what's my job, mm. how does it work, why is it this way? These are the the just the the innate things that kind of well up within me, and it turns out there is a really good job for that. It's called CEO. That's terrific. And so, yeah, yeah. And so I, my journey's been you know Microsoft, and then I worked with an amazing company, Crystal, uh, which made Crystal Reports, and then Business Objects, Salesforce, SAP. I jumped in as CEO of uh, Marketo back in 2016, and that was a company that I I worked with a private equity firm, Vista Equity Partners, to take Marketo private, um, which we did for $1.6 billion. My job was to grow the company, improve it, build the software, and Adobe acquired the company 24 months after I started for um, about $5 billion, so we did a good job in terms of uh, growing the company and, and uh, returning um, equity to our shareholders. I'd say so. And so then I jumped in at iSIMS. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about what iSIMS is. You know, our kind of big topic of the day is this labor and employment crisis. It seems like, you know, nobody can find enough workers. Um, so what exactly does iSIMS do? What is talent acquisition platform and how does AI play into that? Well, so our 
technology, what we do, we, we have this solution that we call the talent cloud. And it's really quite simple. We help the best companies in the world find and hire the best talent in the world. Now that sounds simple, right? But you, we all know hiring even one talented person is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, right? You have to go first, find the person. Then you have to convince them that your company is the company where they want to build their career, to get excited about it. So there's kind of attraction, there's engagement. Then there's the interview process, bringing together the team, making sure you ask the right questions, get the right feedback, come to the right decision. Then you got to you know, issue an offer. And if that person lives in a different country, what are the forms and the, the data and what can you manage? Then there's onboarding that employee. Then there's obviously ensuring that they stay. Mm -hmm. We do all of that. Wow. One simple platform that makes finding and hiring talent scalable because our, our customers, they're not just hiring one person. They're, they're, they're hiring thousands per month. Uh, one of our larger customers, Amazon, they've hired over a million people using iSIMS. No way. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So... Do you think there is a lack of qualified workers or do you think companies aren't doing enough to attract great talent? Well, you know what? I think there's a couple of things. Number one, I think there's a lack of qualified employers. Mm. I think in the world that we live in today, it's not about, well, let me just come up you know, with a nice job description and put it on a piece of paper or online that's heavily edited by legal and someone great, we'll just really show up. You have to engage with people at an authentic level, meet them where they are, right? We're not just reading this boring job description going, yeah, I'm all in. I want texture about your company. I want to make sure that your values and beliefs mm. align with mine mm. before we even get to salary. And the problem is, is that companies skip over those things hmm. and it's just a different world. And especially in a world where we're hiring remotely more and more and more. I mean, today iSIMS has, you know, probably 40% of our employees would be considered remote. So how do you engage and unpack texture about your company when someone's never going to come to your headquarters? So it's just a different world. And so for, for me, I think it's about employers, first and foremost, getting their heads wrapped around the competitive hiring environment that we're in, the new world of talent, and what people are looking for. And this is not a Gen Z comment. This is an everybody comment. This is what we want. Mm. And so, you know, that certainly makes a difference. But I will say, if you look at, um, you know, data from Corn Ferry as a case in point, they say by 2030, Globally, 80 million high-skilled jobs will go unfilled. Whoa. 80 million. So, yeah, there is a shortage of talent in the market. It's my understanding um, your data team seems kind of trends, industry trends way before anybody else does. So what That's kinds right. of things are you seeing or can you share? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because if you look at how the labor report that, you know, comes out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, right, from the government, what they are typically looking at is something called payroll starts. For everyone listening, a payroll start is literally someone started at a company 
they're getting payroll that's reported to the US government, but that's a lag indicator. It tells you what happened last month or last quarter. So you're really looking at the health, if you will, of the labor market a month ago. And really what you wanna look for is, well, companies that are posting new jobs, what are, what, what's that lead indicator that says, yeah, the economy's starting to look good three quarters from now, six quarters from now. What I can tell you, job postings are still growing mm. year over year. So you can hear, you know, NASDAQ this and, you know, Dow Jones that. The reality is employers across every industry are looking to hire. What you, what you hear in the headlines is like, oh, well, this tech company, you know, is letting people go. Well, yeah, they are because they overhired. They don't manage their company with discipline. They're not profitable. And now that the lean times or leaner times come then they have to shed their employees. But most companies that are disciplined, durable and well-managed, they're hiring. Wow. So uh, you gave us this example of, of Amazon earlier. I'm wondering if there's any other examples you can kind of share with us. Like, you know, how does ISOMS help these specific companies? What kinds of things have you been able to do that maybe a different, you know, talent acquisition company couldn't? Yeah, yeah. Well, well for sure. I mean, I think, first of all, our goal is to help any company find and hire talent end to end, as I said. So that's everything that you need. Some companies use different pieces and parts of our platform, but I'll give you a case in point. If you were to open up a browser and just type in Uber University Recruiting, just Google that, or type in Target University Recruiting, like Target the retailer, right? Go to that website, you're gonna see these videos pop up of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of employees, real employees from Target or Uber, talking about their experience. It's like TikTok. Literally, they use an application from iSIMS, hold up their phone, and they answer a question like, what's it like working here? What's your experience in engineering or, uh, you know, even as a cashier? And people are being authentic and real. They're real selves. And then they click submit. We ingest those videos. We organize and categorize. We even translate them in real time into 16 different languages. So you get closed captioning and you get, instead of this boring career site where you're just reading this really long job description, you're getting rich videos that feel like the consumer experience you get with TikTok. Sure. That's how you connect with human beings. And that's what we're doing today. And you know what? I'm not knocking um, Apple. I'm just using this as an example. They're not a customer of ours. They should be. <laughs> but if you go to Apple Careers, and you click on job search, this is literally the most valuable company in the world in terms of market cap, right? It's whatever trillions of dollars. So they pretty much have infinite money. And they've chosen to just have these very boring job descriptions because they're relying on, well, it's Apple, everybody wants to work here. I got bad news for Apple. Not everybody wants to work there, number one. And number two, the companies that engage in an authentic manner with people going forward, they will win the war for talent. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Because, yeah, I think to your point, companies who all used to just be able to sit back and relax and let people come to them are now like, ooh, game on. we exactly. got to recruit. We've got to be out there. We can't just sit back and trust everybody loves us. Unequivocally. Wow. Okay. 
I know you have locations globally. ISIMS is located in Paris, Dublin, and the UK. So what are you seeing globally with the workforce? How does a global company like ISIMS account for cultural differences when you're attracting employees from all over the world? Well, you know, the, you have to think through, first and foremost, the core values that you as a company want to convey as an employer brand globally. Then you have to kind of go down one level, right, in altitude and think about how will that differ country by country, right? There are certain countries where um, healthcare is a universal right and you don't have to advertise it as aggressively um, as a case in point. There are other you know, places in the world where it's less about compensation and more about long-term job security, right? Here in the U.S., we tend to be a little bit more of a transient market, right? It's like, well, I can work here, then I'll just jump there, whatever it may be. But what we do is we generally engage with employers and we talk about brand, we talk about authenticity, we talk about engagement. But then we also talk about what are the means and mechanisms across the world that are, are, are the best ways to find and hire people. For example, in Asia Pacific, number one way to engage people, WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. If you go to Europe and actually here in the U.S. largely, um, engaging through text messaging, not email, is 10 times more effective. Wow. And yet most companies rely on email to communicate with their candidates and applicants and the like. And so as you go country by country, there's technology fine tuning, there's approach fine tuning. But the beautiful thing about this is human beings have a lot of things in common. We want to be secure. We want to be happy. We want to take care of our families. These are the things Then we want meaningful work because we spend more time at work than we do at home. And so those things will never lose their appeal. But it's how you unpack and convey that to people that makes all the difference. I love it. So, Steve, I'm going to transition a little bit to talk more about kind of you and your leadership style um, versus kind of company or like uh, the the industry in general. So what unique challenges do you feel like you face as a global leader and what management techniques do you use to be effective across the globe? Well, you know, I started in this CEO job March 1st of 2020, oh boy. which would perfectly align with COVID. <laughs> and on top of that, we were a hiring company. I'm sorry, we are a hiring mm -hmm. company. And in 2020, the U.S. alone shed 22 million jobs. So there is the, what do you do as a new CEO when there's this unprecedented pandemic that you know, I didn't go to Pandemic 101 sure. in college. Like, I didn't even offer the class. And uh, I'm sure they do now. But um, there's no playbook for mm -hmm. that. All you can do is lead and rely on your, your instincts that you've built up over time, as well as the data that you have at hand. And what I knew then, and as I know now, is that, you know, crises come and go. But it's the commitment that you convey to your team, the values that you build into your organization. Those are the bedrock elements that um, that you lean on. And so for me, you know, having, you know, continued to learn lessons throughout my career, what I generally tell people is, number one, 
um, if you can choose between uh, focusing on your employees or focusing on your customers, and I know this is going to sound horrible, focus on your employees. Companies that are employee focused are profoundly more successful than companies that say, you know, we put our customers first. It's not a matter of not caring about your customers. We love our customers. They're amazing. But if you aren't taking care of your employees, they're just going to leave. And that will have a more profound impact on your customers than anything. So that's number one. Um, number two is I tell my team to be curious. You know, I, I is a true story. When my mom uh, left me alone at home one time with some of my brothers and sisters, I decided to take apart the, the dryer, like the washer dryer, take it apart. Um, I didn't know how to put it back together, but I just wanted to know how it worked. Oh my word. And I got, I will say this to my credit at like 11 years old, I got most of it back together. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, being curious matters in your mm. job. Be curious about how your customers work. How do they feel? How is what you're doing translating into outcomes? Mm. You know, customers aren't buying your software because they love software. They're buying your software because they want shorter time to hire. They want, you know, more talented individuals. So be curious. So first is care about your employees. Second is be curious. And third is just be real. <laughs> we live in a world where too many CEOs create this, I'm just going to say it, this weird fake persona about themselves. Like, well, they weren't born. <laughs> they just rode down on a mountain on from a mountain on a unicorn <laughs> and they're smarter than everybody else. And they're just these self-elevated human beings. And, you know, it's like, oh, we all forgot once upon a time you were a gawky teenager. It, you know, just be real yeah. with people. And, and it's, it's tough. Um, because you, you kind of get into this, oh, I'm a CEO now, blah, blah, blah. But I think this world that we live in now, people gravitate towards authenticity. Yep. And it is authentic leaders that I believe will be successful. Yeah, I totally agree. On, on that note, you know, um, Daniels is known for te teaching ethical leadership and dedication to the public good. So your values as a leader is important. So how do you feel you conduct business responsibly? What do ethics look like in your line of work? And what do you have to be conscious of? Yeah, well, first of all, I love the approach that Daniels takes to developing leaders. I think it is the absolute right path to put young people mm. on. Number one. Number two, um, partly because I think, you know, my upbringing, my parents, you know, instilled a lot of ethics in me, but I, I have a deep core belief. I will not sacrifice my own personal ethics for money. Mm. I won't do it. And from my point of view, I think we need more people in business, in politics, that just stand up for what they believe in and they're just consistent about it. It's really actually not that hard to just be ethical. It's really not. Um, 
the challenge and the temptation is the you know the pressure you know that's that's heaped upon leaders and you know the the demand from mm. markets for constant success and constant growth and and my argument is if if the markets start valuing durability um over short term gain in performance i think you'll see a change in behavior mm -hmm. but we need that um, so my perspective is always, you know, as whoever's leading or as aspiring leaders listening to this, pick those two or three principles that you believe in that you stand for and never let them mm, go. I love it. Uh, on the topic of public good also, I understand you're a type 1 diabetic and you've served on the board of mm. the American Diabetes Association. So talk a little bit about that your passion area and why do you feel it's important to give back in that way? Yeah, I um, I got shook pretty hard in my early 20s, uh, which is when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, oh. and I knew nothing about it. I thought that was something that you you just were born with when you got, when you were a kid or you, you know, some, you know, later in life type thing. And it just happened out of the blue, out of nowhere. So you could safely say the wheels fell off the truck. Um, but I learned a lot through that process. Mm. I learned that number one, there are no guarantees in this life and you have to run your business, run your life, you know, your home, your family. Like if today was my last day, am I proud of it? That's number one. Number, number two is, as I learned about type one diabetes, I learned that it's actually a very manageable thing. As long as you, you know, focus on good habits, you're working out, you're eating right, you're doing those things, it's very manageable. But very often, you know, the, and the reason they call it juvenile diabetes is because it's generally, it, it generally afflicts younger children, right? It's genetic, you're born with it. And I've met kids as young as one and two years wow. old that, that have to, somehow grow up fast and manage insulin. And I mean, what, what a terrifying thing. And so for me, I, I felt really blessed to be diagnosed with it in my twenties mm. where I was aware of it, I could manage it. But the passion area for me comes from as much as I've learned about it is helping parents of very young children that have to deal with this incredibly challenging chronic illness. Um, and how to help them overcome the fear and anxiety of, of getting it right. And then for kids that are in their teens, you know, there's this stigma of like, well, you're less mm. because you have type 1 diabetes and people don't understand it. And so it's helping them understand they can do anything. And, and you know, I think that that goes across really any, you know, kind of differently abled person in any way, shape or form is, um, you know, drop the stigma, go after whatever it is you want in life. And just know that you are of, you know, the same value and merit as anybody else on this yeah. planet. Amen to that. Amen to that. So uh, you may have answered this already, but I'm going to ask anyway, as a voice of experience, um, is there any motto or lesson you want to pass on to others? Well, I touched on it already, but I'll touch on it again. Be curious. Whatever you come across in this world, the rules that are presented to you, that's just something that somebody thought was a good idea 
yesterday or a year ago <laughs> or a hundred years ago. And, and we need to, you know, treat this world and treat the country that we live in as an ever evolving, but always maturing um, environment. And some people in this world, they want to take us back a hundred years. But the things that worked a hundred years ago don't now, but we've got to be curious. We have to figure out maybe there are new rules that we should be playing by in this world. So just don't accept the world that's presented to you. Make a new one. Great advice, Steve. Again, this is Steve Lucas, CEO of ISOMS. Thank you for joining us on the VOE podcast. Thank you for your time and um, really enjoyed it today. This has been the VOE Podcast. Produced by the Daniels College of Business and sponsored by U.S. Bank. With music by Joshua Metzel, a music composition graduate student at the Lamont School of Music. Join us next time for more business insights from our community. In the meantime, visit daniels.du.edu slash VOE podcast. And remember, you can like, follow, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>